शो मित्र संवरुण शो भवत्मांद्रो बृहस्पति शो विष्णुक्रम नमो ब्रह्मणे नमस्ते वायमे प्रत्यक्ष ब्रह्मसी प्रत्यक्ष ब्रह्म वदिष्यातम वदिष्यामी सत्यम वदिष्यामी तन्मावद
दक्षिणमूर्त नम अखंडम सच्चिदानंदम अखंडम सच्चिदानंदम अवांग मनस गोचरम अवांग मनस गोचरम आत्मखिलाधारम आत्मखिलाधारम आश्रये भीष्ट सिद्धये आश्रये भीष्ट सिद्धये अर्थतोप्यद्वयानंदान अर्थतोप्यद्वयानंदान अतीतद्वैतभानत अतीतद्वैत गुरूनाराध्य वेदात गुरूनाराध्य वेदात सारम वक्ष्ये यथामे सारम वक्ष्ये यथामे साधना नित्यानित्य वस्तु विवेक यहाँ मुत्राद फलभोग विराग समाधि षटक संपत्ति मुमुक्षुत्वम दीन डिजायर फॉर लिबरेशन दीज आर कंसिडर टू बी द्वालिफिकेशन फॉर ए स्टूडेंट फॉर एन एक्सपीरियंट हु इज कॉम्पिटेंट और फिट टू बेनिफिट फ्रॉम द स्टडी ऑफ द स्क्रिप्चर्स वन नॉलेज विल टेक प्लेस द आइडिया इज विच क्वालिफिकेशन वेन आर देयर द नॉलेज मस्ट टेक प्लेस एंड विच वेन आर नॉट देयर द नॉलेज विल नॉट टेक प्लेस दिस इज वॉट साधनम और क्वालिफिकेशन मीन्स यर this four four qualifications when they are there knowledge must take place when one is exposed to the listening to the scriptures and which qualifications when not there the knowledge will not take place in spite of listening of course the very listening shravanam itself is conducive to to acquiring these qualifications because what we call the lack of qualifications is nothing but a product of ignorance ignorance which gives rise to a sense of ego the individuality which alone gives rise to all likes dislikes impulses emotions complexes therefore what we call lack of qualification is nothing but that which is born of ignorance and therefore very process of shravanam listening to the scriptures a constant exposure to the scriptures also enables us to see the fallacy of our own notions or fallacy of various things that we are holding on to various conclusions that we are holding on to which in fact alone restrain us or restrict us or bind us and therefore as we understand the scriptures to the extent that we understand them to that extent these notions or pre the conclusions drop off and to that extent one becomes free from dislikes dislikes complexes and therefore in pawn of punyana shravanam kuriya so he said that may you listen to the scriptures again and again meaning may you expose yourself to this listening again and again and again so that also becomes an excellent means for acquiring qualifications but the idea is that these qualifications or that maturity of the mind is required for this knowledge to take place 
ஐதாத்மதம்ிங்ஸ்ிங்ஸ்ிங்ஸ்ிங்ஸ்ிங்ஸ்ிங்ஸ்ிங்ஸ்ிங்ஸ்ிங்ஸ்ிங்ஸ
and that love alone gets reflected in various things and beings. And so I love people, all right. I love situations. I love things. Not for their sake. How long can I love them? As long as they are conducive to my love for Brahman or the Self. When they come in the way of my love for myself, for the Self, that object or a person no more remains an object of love. So, in and through every love that I have, whatever love I have, what do I really love? And we should understand this love also. Because we squander away our love, you know. And then, uh, ultimately there are frustrations and disappointments and what not. We should know that the love ultimately is for the self. It is true that it is not the only self of mine, it is self of all. Brahman is not somebody's individual self. Brahman is the self of all. But it is that which I love. That if I, might, if I have a love for a person, understand that, I might think that it is the body that I love, or the mind, person's emotions that I love, or intelligence that I love. But in fact, what is reflected is itself through that body, through the emotions, and through the intelligence. And therefore, what makes the body or the emotions or the intelligence lovable is that thing which is present in there. And therefore, we should understand our love also. That ultimately, love is for the self. Love is for Brahman. That's why I love every moment. That's why I'm seeking every moment. And therefore, that is the only relevant, not only most relevant, we would say the only relevant thing. <coughs> so understand your own emotions. It is necessary to understand that what do we ultimately love is Brahman, which alone is called God or Self, Truth, and that this is there. Otherwise, how would I love? And how would I seek? The fact that I am seeking constantly Brahman, the limitless, means it must be there. Although at the moment I may not know what it is, where it is, it has to be there because that's what not only I, everyone is seeking. So this vivechanam, this discrimination, that Brahma is Nitya Vastu, is a permanent thing, is a permanent reality, and everything other than Brahman is impermanent. This Vivechanam, this discrimination is called Viveka. <coughs> Vivechanam means this separation. To be able to separate the chain, the, the chaff from the grain from the chaff, to separate from the relevant from the irrelevant in our life. So that is how our priorities will be set. This Viveka or discrimination is very important because that really sets the priorities in our life. When, whatever we understand as the most important is what we will always want to see. That's what we would want to have. Our efforts will be necessarily directed in the direction towards that which we consider as important. And if you understand that Brahman is the most important or Self is the most important and necessarily our efforts will be directed towards knowing the Self. Therefore, this vivechanam, this discrimination is extremely important. Brahmaiva nitya vastu, Brahmaiva, eva means only Brahman is nitya vastu. Tatahanyad akhilam anityam, everything other than Brahman is anityam impermanent. Idi vivechanam, this separation, this discrimination is called viveka. And this necessarily brings about vairagya. Vairagya towards what? Vairagya towards qualified happiness. When I realize that there is this unqualified happiness, then I no more want qualified happiness, that's all. I don't want conditional happiness. I don't want conditions to be attached to my happiness. 
that I can be happy only when I acquire an object having certain qualifications. I can be happy only at a given time, at a given place, only when a given thing is there. This is called so Srakchanda Vanitadina Vanitadvishabhoganam Karma Janitaya Anitchitvat. In a very technical language these things are written. So we don't find these ideas contained in this passage, because they're all there. Passage 17 describes what is meant by Vairagya or dispassion. In traditional technical language. And purely at the intellectual level, at the level of reasoning or analysis, that when once it has <clears throat> been understood by me, when I understand my own need, and when I understand when my, that my need is for something permanent, for something lasting, that I cannot settle for anything less than that, if I understand that need, then naturally I would not want to settle for anything that is impermanent or transient. And I realize that all forms of pleasures and enjoyments, as we said yesterday, the happiness comes at the level of the senses, from the sensuous pleasures, the happiness comes at the level of emotion, when there is an emotional fulfillment, happiness also comes at the level of intellect, when there is intellectual satisfaction, the satisfaction of the ego. Thus we acquire happiness at different levels. It is not that everybody always is a sensuous person, that they are seeking happiness from the sense objects. But even those who may have given up or may have been indifferent to the objects of the senses may also be very different towards emotions or towards their own intellect or ego. But when we analyze the happiness coming at the different levels from different objects, then we realize that karma janyataya anityatpavat all of this happiness is anitya, is impermanent, transient. Why is it transient? Because it is conditional. Because the happiness at the level of senses, or at the level of emotion, or at the level of intellect is only when a given condition is satisfied. It is not that I am happy at any time or at any place, but that I am happy only when a certain condition is satisfied. When I am in presence of certain person, or when I am in presence of a certain object, or when I am in presence of a certain situation, then alone I am happy, not otherwise. So that person, or that situation, or that object, is something that has to be created, something that has to be acquired, something that has to be uh, arranged, as a result of an effort. So I find that the happiness that I acquire today is as a result of an effort. Karma. And what is generated or created as a result of effort is going to be limited because every effort is limited. Not only that, but everything in the world is limited and therefore the ability that they have of giving me happiness also is going to be limited. Just to understand this. That doesn't mean that I hate things because they are limited. There is no reason to dislike them or hate them because they are limited. That's their nature. And you love them for what they are. So we can love a limited thing also, just because it is limited. But we understand. So there will be priorities set in our life. What is the place that these things enjoy in our life? That they are all limited, transient, and therefore, I do not expect from them anything permanent. At the moment, we are making an unreasonable demand from life also. We are making unreasonable demand from everything. From our own self and from others also. As we said, what we are seeking inherently, in, internally, is this limitless. 
And we expect the poor things of the world to give us that. We expect our object of love to give me limitless happiness. I expect the objects of the senses to give me limitless happiness. I expect the honor, etc., at the level of intelligence to give me limitless happiness. And those poor things can do that because they are just not, they are limited. And therefore there is frustration again and again. In spite of so much achievement, there is so much disappointment and frustration because what I expect or demand is unreasonable. You know that story of Akbar and, and you know, that, that fellow, that Mullah Nasruddin, that uh, he was trying to cook. This fellow, this Mullah Nasruddin had a bet with somebody when they were chatting among the friends. And uh, this fellow was boasting. It was, it was winter, freezing cold. And this Mullah Nasruddin claimed and told his friends, well, I can sit on the top of that mountain without anything for the whole night. He says, really? He says, yes. Then the bet was ten dollars, you know, if he wins that bet. So the day came, this mullah went there and spent the whole night there sitting there in the freezing cold. Next morning he demanded his ten dollars. So this fellow asked him, oh, you went there, you were all by yourself? He says, yes. Do you nothing else with you? He says, I had a, a novel with me, a book with me, and I had a candle with me. Oh, you had a candle with you. The condition was that you should not have anything with you, you know. So this candle must have given you the warmth and therefore you were able to sit there for the whole night. Sorry, you have not fulfilled all the conditions of our bed, so we cannot give you ten dollars. That's what they said. Poor Mullah says, okay. One day he invited all his friends for dinner. And all the friends came, same fellows came for dinner. Mullah was in his kitchen cooking something. This fellow was all sitting there on the dining table. Everything was set up. The food was to come from the kitchen. So waiting at the dining table 15 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes, and no food was coming. So one of them was curious, and he went into the kitchen to see, what is this mullah doing? So I'm cooking. What are you cooking? Khichari. You know what is khichari? This rice and dal combination. He had a big pot, because he invited 15 friends, who had a big pot of khichari, which was cooking, supposedly. And what is the fire? That one candle was, you know, was placed underneath. Since yesterday I am trying to cook this kitchen, you know, but I am not able to cook. And then they understood, you know. But what can you expect from a candle? You expect the candle to cook your kitchen, it cannot do. Poor thing is limited. And so also every object of the world and every form of happiness that we can acquire is like that candle, limited. And from that I expect to cook kitchen, meaning I expect to gain fulfillment out of them, and that is just unreasonable. So, in fact, we are making unreasonable demands from the things and objects and situations of life to give them what they are not capable of giving. And the process, again and again, we get frustrated and, and, you know, disappointed. So when you understand these experiences of our life, Parikshalokan, Karmachitan, Brahmanam, Nirvedamayad, Nasta Kratakradena, you must have heard this famous mantra, that Parikshalokan, when you analyze this loka or the worlds, Karma Chitan, which can be acquired as a result of karma. Brahmana Nirvedamaya. This Brahmana, this contemporary person, he developed Vairagya. Nasti Krita Kritena. Akrutaha Krutena Nasti. What I am seeking is Akrutaha uncreated. Krutena Karmana Nasti uncreated cannot be acquired as a result of karma, as a result of any effort. In fact, Nasti Akrita Kritena. The uncreated cannot be created. So at the moment, we are all the time making an attempt to create happiness, understand. 
And how do we seek to create happiness? By creating a certain condition. By creating a certain condition within or without, we are seeking to create happiness. You must know that happiness cannot be created because if happiness is what it is, it is always there. It is only to be manifested. So when we think that we are creating happiness, in fact, we are not creating happiness, we are only manifesting the happiness which is already there. Like the sun which is hidden behind the clouds and the clouds go away, the sun shines. It is not that the sun is created, the sun which was already shining just becomes manifest. And so, so when a given object or a situation arises which makes me happy, what exactly happens? Is it that the happiness has come from that object or situation? The answer is no. The happiness which is already there as a nature of myself just becomes manifest. And therefore, in any experience of happiness, what the objects or situations do, they just become instrumental in manifestation of happiness, which is already my nature. <coughs> so, whereas we think that the happiness is created, the fact is the happiness becomes manifest. And we think the happiness gone away, all that happens is happiness again becomes unmanifest. Happiness, which is a self, momentarily becomes manifest when the mind has become clear, non-demanding, quiet, you know, and again when a demand comes in the mind, that itself again veils that happiness. So happiness is not something that comes from outside. When we feel happy and when we analyze our experience, you'll find that it is not that the happiness has come from out and entered me. You'll discover that happiness is always welled up from within. So, what the outside thing does, it just becomes instrumental in welling up or manifestation of happiness, which is already my own nature. <clears throat> so, understand the nature of happiness and experiences of happiness. Then we realize that, number one, that the happiness that we can possibly acquire from any source other than ourselves is going to be limited in time, limited in measure, limited in situation. Not only that, but that happiness which appears to be coming from outside does not really come from outside. It is of our own nature and it becomes manifest. Meaning happiness is not something to be acquired. Happiness is something to be made manifest. <clears throat> and when I understand this, then there is what we call a vairagya or dispassion for acquiring happiness from any source other than myself because that happiness is transitory or limited. So this is the iha. Iha means in this world, the happiness that can come from all possible objects and achievements being limited. Therefore, I don't run after them. If it comes by itself, well and good, I don't run after them. Then another option is, another thing that one may be seeking is maybe happiness in heavens. Amushmikanamabhi amrutada vishaya bhoganam anityataya Again, according to the culture, as it, as the ideas that were prevalent at that time, people those days were seeking to go to heavens, where they can gain pleasures of ambrosia, amruta. So supposedly in heavens there is ambrosia, and when you partake of this ambrosia, then you are totally happy. So devatas, or the gods, 
the, the denizens, you know, of the heavens who dwell there supposedly partake of the ambrosia every day and therefore they're immortal. So people seek that because they, they know the limitations of the happiness in this world and therefore they want to go to heavens and enjoy happiness there. It is said that even if there is such a place called heavens and even if there are pleasures like those which are described in the books, then also all those pleasures are going to be limited. Because just as the pleasures acquired in this life as a result of limited effort are limited, and so also the pleasures acquired even in heavens, being the product of our efforts, are also going to be limited. So, this is how Tadyathaya Karma Jitaloka Kshiyade Eva Meva Mutra Punya Jitaloka Kshiyade Iti Chandogya Upanishad itself says that just as the happiness acquired in this world as a result of effort gets exhausted, comes to an end, so also the happiness that can be acquired even in the heavens is also going to be limited because it is acquired as a result of effort. Lord Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Shena Punya Martilokam Vishanti. When your Punya gets exhausted, so they compare heavens with a five-star hotel. And how long can you live in a hotel? As long as you have money with you. As long as you can pay your bills and they will throw you out. And so also the heavens, how long can you stay? As long as you have the wealth of Punya or the good actions, virtuous actions. As long as that effect lasts, so long you are in the heavens. And when the Punya is exhausted, you drop back from heavens to this earth and start all over again. So this is how. In short, this Vairagya makes my mind focused upon myself. It is natural that a person is seeking happiness outwardly, because that's how the God has made the mind. He has made the mind extroward. Paranchikhani Vyatrona Swambuhu Lord has made our sense organs and the mind extroward. So naturally the mind and the sense organs are seeking for happiness and security out in the world. When we realize that, that whole search is futile, and then, kaschidhiraha pratyagatmana maikshat avurta chakshu amurtattva michyan Some dhiraha, some wise person, a discriminative person, amurtattva michyan, desiring immortality, he turned his attention from the world, from the non-self, and focused attention on the self and saw the immortality. <coughs> so, idea is that the immortality that we are seeking is the very nature of the self, is not to be acquired from the non-self. As this understanding comes naturally, my mind and senses become withdrawn from their external preoccupations and become focused upon ourselves. So Viveka or discrimination, when it becomes mature or when it really becomes a, a fact of life for me, the immediate result is Vairagya or dispassion. <coughs> Amrutad Vishwa Bhoganam Anittataya Tebhya Nitaram Viratihi A total viratihi, total cessation from seeking of the pleasure, that's all. Vairagya does not mean not enjoying the objects. It only means not running after the objects. A total cessation of an effort of seeking pleasures and happiness in the objects and things other than the self is called vairagya, understand? Vairagya means a cessation of an effort of seeking happiness from things other than myself. <coughs>
which cessation of effort arises from viveka or a discriminative understanding. <coughs> Otherwise, they want to call smashana vairagya. Vairagya or this disgust towards life that often arises because when we have some unpleasant experiences. In smashana, in the cremation ground, people have that vairagya. You know, when you go to cremation ground, when somebody is being cremated, you can see the the transitoriness of the life. So, oh, ultimately one has to go. Ultimately there is death. When you see the death and that cremation taking place in front of you, you can realize that someday the life is going to come to an end. What am I doing here? What for? Etc. These thoughts arise and there is a vairagya at that time. As long as you are in the cremation ground, no sooner you come out of the cremation ground, again, you are hungry and therefore you want to go to restaurant. <laughs> this is... Similarly also, when some experience unpleasant or some other experiences happen in our life, sometimes unpleasant, sometimes some shocks in life, whatever it is. Momentarily this dispassion arises, but doesn't last too long. The dispassion only will last if it has arisen as a result of viveka or discrimination. <coughs> Shankaracharya also discusses in Bhagavad Gita that when you feel happy, what is it that makes you happy? Has it happiness? It not come from the object. Happiness has come because that burden of craving has gone away. I was craving for something. And when I get that which I am craving for, I feel very happy. What makes me happy? Because that craving was a tremendous burden on my head. And when I acquire that thing, momentarily that burden has gone away. And I experience a relief or a freedom from that craving. So when we feel happy, that happiness comes from freedom. Which kind of freedom? Freedom that, freedom from the craving. When there is a, a desire on my head, it's like a, it's, it's a big burden on my head. And when that desire momentarily goes away, when a desirable object comes, I feel happy. They say that, that happiness is not really coming from that object. Happiness is because my mind is momentarily free from that burden of desire. It's a happiness of freedom. Freedom from that craving or freedom from the desire. So, yacca kama sukham loke. Yacca divyam mahat sukham. It is said. This is said in the Mahabharata. That that happiness in the world that you attain as a result of karma, as a result of object, yacca divyam mahat sukham, or the happiness that you may acquire in the, in the heaven, trushnaksha sukasyate narhata shodasim khalam. The happiness that one gains as a result of freedom from trishna, the craving, these happinesses cannot compare with them. In Taitri Upanishad, we see this description of a happy person. Shrotriyasya akamahatasya. So Taitri Upanishad, while describing the degree of happiness at different levels, that human being can acquire maximum happiness. If the human being is everything, you asyat. Sadhu yuva dhyayakaha, asishto, dradishto, balishtaha. 
Tasyaite sarva prasadi vittasya purnasyat. Suppose there is a young person with all the qualifications and all the abilities to enjoy life and all the culture and, you know, sophistication of, of personality, and the person has the whole earth to himself, it's all kinds of pleasures. And the amount of happiness that such a person can get, imagine a young man with all the abilities, culture, education, and everything, and sensitivity, and the taste, and... And that young man has a whole earth to, at his disposal, and the earth is filled with all kinds of pleasures which he is capable of enjoying. And how much happiness can he get? You can't even imagine. So that is one unit of human happiness. So human being is capable of maximum happiness that is like that. Multiply that by hundred, and you have one unit of the happiness of the Manushya Gandharva. Multiply that by one hundred, you have the one unit of happiness of Deva Gandharva. Multiply that by one hundred, you have one unit of happiness of Pitrus. Thus this degree or intensity of happiness grows as the Upadis, you know, as this body or the equipment is, becomes more superior. But at every level it is said, Shrotriyasya akamahatasya. Whatever maximum happiness a person can enjoy as a result of acquiring every possible pleasure is a happiness being enjoyed by the person who is free from this desire. So ultimately the happiness is nothing but freedom from desire. Not freedom from desire in the sense of denying the desire or suppressing the desire, but resolving the desire as a result of viveka or discrimination. When we understand that, what is the desire behind all the desires? Swami says very beautifully, what is one desire behind all the desires? It is to be free from desire, really. What are we seeking? What is one desire behind every desire? To be free from desire. Because it is freedom from desire that alone makes me happy and therefore every moment person only seeks freedom from desire. Trishnaksha sukasyaide narhata shodasim kalam And therefore the happiness that comes as a result of freedom from desire cannot be compared with any other happiness that you can gain in this world or hereafter. Thus, it is this understanding of the nature of happiness, understanding of what I am seeking, understanding the nature of objects and achievements, it is this understanding alone that will create slowly and slowly what we call vairagya or dispassion. A freedom from the false fascination that I have for objects and achievements. Everyone has. We have fascination for wealth, we have fascination for honor, we have fascination for recognition, we have fascination for power, we have fascination, inherent fascination. That is what we call built-in patterns of thinking, you know, which are there. And our life is always guided by these built-in patterns. We have to analyze these fascinations and when we understand that, this fascination is born because of lack of understanding the real nature of things because of lack of understanding my own desire, because of lack of understanding what life can offer me. As we understand that, slowly and slowly, the mind becomes free from that fascination. That alone is called raga. So become free from fascination. Raga. And correspondingly, it will also become free from dvesha or aversion. This mind discovers a freedom from raga and dvesha. Fascinations, attractions and aversions. And that is freedom. So that is the freedom that we have to acquire. 
ನೀಯಸ್ಸಿ ನಿತ್ಯ ಸನ್ಯಾಸಿ ಇವನು ದ್ವೇಷ್ಟಿನ ಕಾಂಕ್ಷದಿ ನಿರ್ದ್ವಂದೋ ಹಿ ಮಹಾವಾಹೋ ಸುಖಂ ಬಂಧಾತ್ ಪ್ರಮುಚ್ಚದೆ ಸೇಜ್ ಲಾಡ್ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಇನ್ ಭಗವದ್ಗೀತ ದಟ್ ಮೇ ಯು ನೋ ದಿಸ್ ಪರ್ಸನ್ ಟು ಬಿ ಎವರ್ ಎನೌನ್ಸಿಯೇಟ್ ದಿಸ್ ಪರ್ಸನ್ ಇಸ್ ಟು ಬಿ ನೋನ್ ಎಸ್ ಎನೌನ್ಸಿಯೇಟ್ ಅವರ್ ದ ಫಸ್ಟ್ ಕ್ವಾಲಿಫಿಕೇಶನ್ ಆಫ್ ಎನೌನ್ಸಿಯೇಟ್ ಯೋನ ದ್ವೇಷ್ಟಿ ನ ಕಾಂಕ್ಷದಿ ಒನ್ ಹುಡ್ ಇಸ್ ನಾಟ್ ಅ ಎವರ್ಜನ್ ನಾ ಒನ್ ಹು ಹ್ಯಾಸ್ ಎನಿ ಫ್ಯಾಸಿನೇಷನ್ ಮೀನಿಂಗ್ ಒನ್ ಹೂಸ್ ಮೈಂಡ್ ಇಸ್ ಫ್ರೀ ಫ್ರಾಮ್ ಫ್ಯಾಸಿನೇಷನ್ಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಎವರ್ಜನ್ ಈ ಇಸ್ ಅ ರಿಯಲ್ ಸನ್ಯಾಸಿ ಹಿ ಇಸ್ ನಾಟ್ ಅ ರಿಯಲ್ ಸನ್ಯಾಸಿ ಬಟ್ ಈಸ್ ಅ ಸನ್ಯಾಸಿ ಆಫ್ ದ ಫಸ್ಟ್ ಲೆವೆಲ್ ಅಲ್ಟಿಮೇಟ್ಲಿ ರಿಯಲ್ ಸನ್ಯಾಸಿ ಇಸ್ ಒನ್ ಹೂ ಇಸ್ ಫ್ರೀ ಫ್ರಾಮ್ ಇಗ್ನರೆನ್ಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಫ್ರೀ ಫ್ರಾಮ್ ದ ಸೆನ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಈಗೋ ಬಟ್ ದ ಫಸ್ಟ್ ಲೆವೆಲ್ ಆಫ್ ಫ್ರೀಡಮ್ ದಟ್ ಯು ಟು ಎಕ್ವೈರ್ ಇಸ್ ಅ ಫ್ರೀಡಮ್ ಫ್ರಾಮ್ ದಿಸ್ ರಾಗ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದ್ವೇಷ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದಟ್ ಅಲೋನ್ ಇಸ್ ಕಾಲ್ ವೈರಾಗ್ಯ ಸೊ ವೈರಾಗ್ಯ ಮೀನ್ಸ್ ಫ್ರೀಡಮ್ ದಿಸ್ ಪ್ಯಾಷನ್ ಮೀನ್ಸ್ ಫ್ರೀಡಮ್ this passion should not be understood as aversion this passion should not be understood as suppression which is what it is often understood meaning misunderstood so vairagya the passion is often misunderstood as suppression as aversion as hatred and often the example that is given you know in the scriptures is chaditanavat jigupsa jigupsa means a ghrana or a disgust that you have you know if somebody vomits what kind of a disgust one has for that vomit and that kind of disgust when you have for the pleasures of the world that is what they call vairagya but anyway we don't want disgust as i said we really want an objective mind we want a balanced mind because when there is a disgust for the world the mind gets equally disturbed whenever you think of the world we don't want disgust we neither want attraction nor do we want aversion and that means we we become objective we know very well that our perception is only distorted by our likes and dislikes these attractions and aversions distort our perceptions they prevent us or deprive us from from seeing and knowing things as they are things that present before us our mind superimposes this likes and dislikes and distorts the perception and that's how the mind always presents before interact a distorted perception we don't perceive the things the way they are everyone lives in their own world of this likes and dislikes and that's how our perception is always invariably distorted so vairagya or dispassion means re- getting rid of these distortions from our mind acquiring what we call an undistorted an objective mind therefore it's a free mind because the distortions are a big burden that's what they make us sad that's what create reactions in us mind becomes free from reactions and becomes free from then becomes free cheerful happy objective so vairagya means happiness freedom objectivity and that is a required qualification naturally to gain any knowledge the mind must be objective and so to gain the knowledge of the atma the mind must be objective usually in in case of what we call the knowledge of the physical objects we do enjoy an objectivity because we have, when there is a specimen is there in front of me which i have to analyze if the doctor is analyzing a patient for example there is an objectivity that means you see the patient or the person as a person is a disease and the and the symptoms as they are but the same doctor may not be an objective when it comes to perhaps his or her own son or daughter a surgeon who performs operation very skillfully upon the patients the hands may start shaking when that person has to perform operation upon his son or some near and dear ones 
because the objectivity is lost. So it is necessary that the mind should be objective, not judgmental. This term we know everywhere, you know, not ju- but we are judgmental. We judge everything. These likes and dislikes are called judgments. To judge a thing as good and bad, as right and wrong, these are judgments. And our mind at the moment cannot function without these judgments. And that being the case, the mind cannot be objective. And therefore, we cannot know the things the way they are. Otherwise, we are told that Brahman is the abhinna nimitta upadana karanam. God is the material and the efficient cause. He alone is in the form of this whole creation. But where do we see God? <coughs> we don't see, not because God is not there. We don't see, not because what we see is not God. But we do not see what we see the way it is. Our perception gets distorted on account of our own complexes, likes and dislikes. So freedom from this is called Vairagya, which comes as a result of Viveka or discrimination. Vairagya is the most important thing. The discrimination, all in the intellect, really has fulfilled itself only when it results in the Vairagya or dispassion. When the mind has fascination or attraction for something, you must know that it is going to be a distraction, today or tomorrow. It will be a distraction, and particularly when you want to apply yourself in very Contemplate, all those things become distractions at that time. And thus, intelligently and discriminately making the mind free from these distractions is, the result is Vairagya. (coughs) And this Vairagya also can be at the intellectual level. That Vairagya, that is passion, really when it permeates our whole being, when it becomes a reality for our own self, when it becomes one with myself, then are manifest what we call samadhi shatka sampattihi. Then the real inner beauty manifests itself. The inner beauty which everyone has. That beauty becomes manifest as a vairagya slowly and slowly is digested or assimilated by me. So assimilation of viveka is vairagya and assimilation of the vairagya or dispassion is what we call samadhi shatka sampatti. And that is what is now described in the 18th passage. Samadhyastu Sama Dhamma Uparate Titiksha Samadhana Shraddhakhyaha Shamadeha. What are known is Shamadeha. Shamadama Uparama. There are Shamadeha means beginning from this inner wealth of the six fold qualifications beginning from Shamar. Shama, Dama, Uparati, Titiksha, Samadhanam, and Shraddha. Or Shraddha and Samadhanam. These six also you should know. What are the six fold inner qualifications? Every student of Vedanta should know minimum. What are the four fold qualifications? Viveka, Vairagya, Samadhi Shatka Sambhatti, 
important. <clears throat> Now all of these are, so these six-fold qualifications come from actually Upanishads. Upanishads talk about the six-fold qualifications. Then of course he himself quotes here, so we will talk about it. Shanto dhanto paratastitikshahu sraddha vitto bhutva or samahiro bhutva. Atmaneva Atmanam Pashyadi. This author himself quotes that. The source of these qualifications, <coughs> they are culled from the Upanishads. These qualifications are culled from the mantras of the Upanishads. And therefore in a concise form they are stated here, Shamaha, Dhamaha, etc. Now these are being uh, defined in the subsequent passages. Says the passage 19, शमस्तावत श्रवणादे व्यतिरिक्त विषयेभ्य मनसः निग्रहः ऑब द सिक्स द फर्स्ट इज शमः व्हाट इज शमः शमः इज द शांति और क्वाइटेड ऑफ द माइंड is called shamaha the word shamaha is derived from the root sham 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 in the sense of quietude silence shamaha means a quietude of the mind when the mind is quiet it is a mind enjoying the quality of shama <coughs> so how to make that mind quiet or what exactly that quietude is is described as shamaha tavat what is meant by shamaha is माइंड <coughs> So, restraining the mind, bringing the mind back from where? Vishayabhya, from the sense objects. So, natural tendency of the mind is to dwell in the sense objects. The objects for which it is attraction or fascination. Or the mind also dwells into all those things and beings and objects for which it is aversion. That's the funny thing, you know. If the mind always dwells on that which it likes, then it's fine. But more often than not, we find our mind dwelling upon things that it hates, you know. So that is, the mind is, this preoccupation is there. If you analyze our thoughts, that's all that the mind does. Either thinks of the things and beings and situations which it loves, which is attracted to, or it thinks of the things which it hates, you know. If we always thought of things that we loved, it would have been so nice, we would have been happy. But unfortunately, mind equally thinks of the things which it hates. <coughs> so, this Raga and Dvesha, 
attractions and fascinations always keep our mind away from the self. They keep the mind, the focus of the mind is always drawn away from the self. The mind is dragged from its center and is dragged into the objects of likes and dislikes. This is what the Raga and Dveshas do. Therefore, there is so much against them. Indriyasya, Indriyasyase Raga Dvesha Vyavasthito, Lord Krishna says in the Gita that every sense organ has the Raga and the Dvesha, the attraction and aversion with reference to its corresponding objects. This attraction and aversions are built into our personality. We are brought with them from our past births and not only that, but the many of them have been planted in us in course of our upbringing, our growth. So in everyone, the parents and the elders and the society and teachers and all of them will plan the likes and dislikes. This is good, this is not good. This is proper, this is not proper. This should be done, this should not be done. This is right, this is not right. In this manner, likes and dislikes are planted also. And we have already brought our own likes and dislikes. As a result, our mind at the moment is full of dislikes and dislikes and they always distract our mind. Says Lord Krishna in the Gita, Yatato Hipikaundaya Purushasya Vipasthitaha Indriyani Pramathini Haranti Prasabham Manaham That, and this is our experience also, that you are making an effort to concentrate your mind and you are alert and you find that even when you are watching these likes and dislikes, the strong forces of likes and dislikes pull the mind away even when you are watching and you are helplessly sitting there and the likes and dislikes drag your mind away from yourself into the sense objects. <coughs> and thus we should understand the mechanism of how the mind gets distracted. What we are really interested in all of this is we want a simple mind. We want a silent mind. We want an abiding mind. We want a mind which is available to us to study. We don't want anything else. We don't want to have any siddhis and powers. We want a simple mind which is a learning mind. Available to study. Available to think. Available to contemplate. Suppose I attend the class in the morning and I often, I am I'm inspired by a lot of things that I hear. And I would wish to dwell upon that for the whole day if I had my way. But that does not happen because as soon as you walk out of the class, lots of things take hold of my mind. And in spite of my effort of bringing the mind back, the mind is dragged away, pulled away from myself by all those reactions, all those desires, passions, anger, greed, all sorts of things which are there. So all of them pull my mind away. And therefore, at the moment the mind is under the control of these enemies. They are called enemies. There are six-fold enemies inside. Kama, Krodha, Loha, Moha, Mada and Matsarya. Kama means passion <coughs> or lust or desire. Krodha is anger. Wherever desire is there, there is always a potential of anger. They say wherever, whenever you make an appointment, there is always a possibility of disappointment. Similarly also, wherever there is a desire, there is always a possibility or potential of desire not being fulfilled. And stronger the desire I have, more likely is 
the possibility of a strong anger also because whenever there is an obstruction to fulfillment of my desire anger is what arises because I can't accept it so karma the desire the next step is krodha the anger <coughs> suppose my desire gets fulfilled then what then there is no anger isn't that good well that is its own problem what is the problem when the desire gets fulfilled then my mind always wants more of it that's another problem like pouring the butter in the fire that you pour the butter and the fire wants more and more and so also when my desires are fulfilled the mind wants more and more of it that is called loha or the greed so karma or the desire either gives rise to krodha or the anger or it gives rise to greed because there is inner dissatisfaction <coughs> karma krodha loha moha whenever the mind is under the spell of anger or it is in the, under the spell of greed it cannot think clearly there is moha lack of loss of discrimination loss of proper thinking out of greed also people don't think properly they invest money in all kinds of things you know, and lose them out of greed people do all kinds of gambling and then you know they are ruined the greed ruins a person because there is no end to the greed greed is compared to an ocean just as ocean is no other bank so so greed is that which which has no end at all you try to fulfill that greed and it grows and therefore most people get ruined out of greed other fellows get ruined out of anger these are two forces anger and greed because both anger and greed rob my mind of its sense of discrimination moha next is mother pride arrogance when i find myself a successful person then there is pride or arrogance and whenever there is pride there is immediately going to be mastery or jealousy a proud person is going to be most jealous person also why because a pride is of course something that is false and a proud person is seeking security from his or own achievements and whenever that person finds most successful person immediately one soon inner equality becomes manifest becomes evident and therefore that gives rise to what we call jealousy so these six are considered to be inner enemies kama the passion or uh, craving krodha the anger lobha the greed moha lack of discrimination mother pride or arrogance and matsarya jealousy koshad <coughs> ripavah these are the six inner enemies and at the moment my mind is under the control of these fellows not in my control all i want is that the mind should be under my control that's all tamakratus pasyadivita shokah dhatu prasadat mahiman matmanah we want the the favor of our own mind we want that the mind should be pleased with our own self it should be favorable to us it should be available to us that's all shamaha means what shamaha means the mind should be favorable mind should be available mind should be a friend let us put it this way atmaiva khyatmano bandhu atmaiva ripuratmanah again gita says that mind is my friend and the mind is also my enemy so mind which is pleased becomes my friend mind which is under control of this anger etc is my enemy so what we want is we want to make friendship with our own mind is that nice something we go around making friendship with the whole world but 
we have not spent time to cultivate friendship with our own selves. By self we mean mind here, and therefore to cultivate a friendship with our own mind is, and when the mind becomes our friend, becomes uh, available to us, when we enjoy the grace or the favor of the mind, that state of mind is called Shamaham. So, it requires an effort. It doesn't happen. This is the whole idea of what we call emotional maturity. Shamaha means an emotionally mature mind. <clears throat> mind which does not react. Mind which accepts facts of life and therefore does not react. You have to read the whole book called The Emotional Maturity. That will tell you how, what are the facts of life. And how to understand them and how to learn to accept the facts of life so that we don't quarrel we don't have are in we are constant in battle right now with the facts of life you see presently more often than not we are battling against life we are battling against the facts of realities of life so let us have a truce with the reality for that it requires understanding the reality of life understanding the reality of our own self and having a truce with the reality. If you have a truce with reality, we are always happy. We battle with the reality, we can never be peaceful. So peaceful mind is a mind called Shamaha. And you can keep talking about it as long as you want, but the point is that Shamaha is, says here, Pura Vasana Balat, Sarvanadi Sadhane Uddiya, for an aspirant or a student of knowledge, only thing that that person is interested is that the mind should be available for Shravanam, for listening to the scripture. Now we are talking about a student who has devoted himself or herself to the pursuit of knowledge. And therefore, the only thing that the person wants is Sharvanam, is to be able to listen to the teacher. Mananam, to be able to reflect upon what one has listened to. Nididhyasanam, to assimilate whatever we understood as truth. Understand, Nididhyasanam, assimilation. Sharvanam, understanding the truth. Mananam, making that understanding free from doubts. And Nididhyasanam, assimilation of the truth by alertly implementing the truth. This is what we want to do. But the mind runs away again and again because of the past impressions, because of what we call the already built-in patterns of thinking, built-in conclusions, etc. And therefore, Sarvanadi Sadhanebhya, while I want to listen, even in the classroom also, very often we just get switched off, you know. You can see which person is To what I want to do, to Shravanam, to Mananam, Nididhyasanam, this particular faculty is called Shamaha. This particular faculty, this Vritti or this particular kind of an effort is called Shamaha, meaning controlling or restraining the mind, so that the mind is available for doing what we want to do. This is the Shamaha, quieted of the mind or restraining of the mind or cheerfulness of the mind, abidance of the mind. This is Shamaha. <coughs> okay.